You know, the Greek mythology tells us about a beautiful youth who loved no one until one day he saw his reflection in the water, and he fell in love with his reflection. He was so lovesick that he finally wasted away and died. Then he turned into a flower that bears his name, Narcissus. I always tell you my opinion ahead of time. It's not from the Word of God. And what I'm going to tell you is my opinion. I'm absolutely convinced after all these years in ministry that the number one reason for broken homes and broken marriages is narcissism. In fact, narcissism is at the very core of all heartache and pain that comes from broken marriages. Back in 1986, this is before apostles started, I was ministering to a very heartbroken wife who is contemplating divorce, and I listen very intently, and I, I do exert energy in listening. And I was praying internally, and I'm trying to put the pieces together of the information she's giving me, and, and she finally gave me the answer that I was really tr- was looking for. She said, our problem is that we both are in love with one person, him, him. Which reminds me of the husband who won two trips to Hawaii, so he went twice. (laughs) Now, let me confess to you up front my natural reluctance to preach from this passage. I am telling you the absolute truth. I would rather skip it any time. This part of our Lord's teaching from Matthew 5 on marriage and divorce uh, I, I, I would just, I would rather skip it. Um, I have no extra grind. I'd be, I've been married up to here for 49 years. So you understand that. But I'm certain that most of you here have been impacted one way or the other, somehow, by the pain of divorce. And the reason why I'm reluctant to deal with this issue of marriage and divorce is because it is such a highly emotional and complex issue. And I'm not going to solve it in a message. But I took a vow to preach the whole counsel of God, so I can't skip anything. I have to stay true to my vow and preach the difficult parts that I, my flesh, reluctant to preach from. But there can be no doubt that this subject of marriage and divorce touches emotions at a very deep level, at a very deep level. My friend and mentor, the late John Stutz of London, had a great privilege to know this man since 1971. And uh, Here's what he used to say. He said, there is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of of an unhappy marriage. And I turned around and said, John, you ought to know you never married. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was 94 years, old, 94 years old when he died a few years ago. He never married. That's why he wrote 100 books. <laughs> and one day we were in, my whole family, were, we always used to take him to dinner in London, and my eldest daughter was just peppering him with questions, and when, then he turned around and said, you know, I'm very jealous of your father, <laughs> this great giant. And I looked at him and I said, Joe, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, uh, I just wish I don't sleep like you because I sleep a lot. And now you tell me you sleep four hours. I wish I didn't sleep four hours. I said, yeah, you would have written 200 books. <laughs> but for the past 50 years that I have been involved in ministry, I walked with and felt for the pain and the hurt that folks have experienced as they walk through divorce. So my desire is not to add to the pain. Do you understand that? That's not my desire. But as I mentioned in the last message, I long to help those who are married to know and learn how to proof, a fair proof their marriage. Those of you who are contemplating marriage, I want you to take notice because some of the things I'm going to tell you this morning, you're going to say, yes, I'm learning this. You're going to write them down so you can learn them for the future. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us something very important here. But before I get to the text, I want to remind you of the circumstances of the time during which our Lord Jesus was ministering on earth. Because when you understand that, you put things in context, and you don't jump with the text. During that time, there was a raging debate among the scholars, among the Pharisees, among the teachers of the law about marriage and divorce. I mean, you think that we have debates. There was a raging debate. The Pharisees always tried to drag Jesus into the, their arguments always try to drag him into, or set up traps for him, to, to trap him. And so in Matthew 19, they come to him and are trying to trap him on this issue of marriage and divorce. You know, I love everything about my Lord Jesus. I love him deeper and more every day that I've been walking with him 45, 54 years. But I'm absolutely mesmerized by how he refused to get trapped in their traps. <laughs> Instead of answering their question about divorce, he talked about the importance of God's original design, his father's original design in marriage. In other words, he said, the best way to avoid divorce is to learn what God says about marriage. That is the best way to have a blessed marriage, is to know what God said about marriage. Throughout the series of messages, I entitled it deliberately, Appropriating the Happiness in You. I've been showing you how God the Son, when He came from heaven, was trying to teach us the original intent of God the Father in communicating what we call the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that, because through those 1,800 years, 
the rabbis made a mess of the Word of God. They added to, they interpreted, they messed it up, they turned it and twisted it. And so our Lord Jesus, God the Son, is trying to show us what God the Father intended all along instead of the mess that these rabbis have made of it, particularly on the subject of divorce. Let me show you. This debate was going on during Jesus' earthly ministry. There was a, it's like a food fight. So I want to tell you about that food fight that was going on between the theologians. There were two major divisions among the Jewish teachers and theologians, two major divisions, two schools of thought. There were the conservatives, and there were the liberals. Nothing changes, right? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Uh, the fundamentalist camp was championed by a school called Shammai. They took the verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24.1, where the Lord talks about marriage and divorce. They took that verse, and they said divorce can only take place for one cause and one cause only, and that's adultery. Now, the translation of the word adultery in Deuteronomy 24.1 is unchastity, uh, sometimes translated indecency. One rabbi following Shammai said, let a wife be as mischievous as Jezebel. She cannot be divorced except for adultery. The second group of rabbis, they're the equivalent of those liberals of our day. Uh, they followed a liberal rabbi by the name of Hillel. Listen carefully. Hillel <laughs> defined the word chast unchastity or indecency in Deuteronomy 24.1 to mean anything you want it to mean. You know, anything you want to mean. From burning the dinner to putting too much salt in the food to disrespecting your husband in public. Let me give you a definition of a liberal. Here's what a liberal does. A liberal twists and turns and squeezes and pushes and shoves the Word of God until he makes it to mean what he wants it to mean. Now you got the definition, right? Good. And they were doing the same back then as they're doing today. One of those ultra-liberals by the name of Akiba Akiba said indecency or unchastity includes when the husband meets a woman more attractive than his wife. Go figure. Sounds familiar? Lots of Akibas in the church today. In my very early years in the ordained ministry, as an associate pastor, I was interviewing this couple. They were my first interview of marriage, premarital. The rector was away. Normally, I let him handle all this stuff, he, he, and, he, and he was happy to do it, I'd, and I was happy not to do it. Uh, but he was away, and he said, look, you did deal with this couple. So it was my first interview with a couple of getting married. 
And so I sat with them, and I looked at the man, and I said to him, I said, uh, tell me why you want to marry, um, well, Snookums. Yeah, they're just kind of a name I use in this lady he wants to marry. And uh, why, why? Tell me why. He said, oh, she sure can dance. And he must have looked at the incredulous face that I had. I looked at him, and I said, what will happen if you find somebody who's a better dancer? He said, I don't know. I was 26 years old. So whatever I said back then, I know the Lord has forgiven me. (laughs) Beloved, I want to tell you, I am absolutely convinced of this. The way the definition of marriage is in this 21st century, I am absolutely certain in my heart, makes God sick. So let's look at those two verses. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 31 and 32, two verses. I'm going to read them for you. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must, have, must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, here's the equivalency between the father and the son. They are equal. You heard that? My father said, now I'm telling you. Anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Lord Jesus, only you in heaven know how difficult this passage is and how difficult to take to heart. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have taught us to interpret the Scripture by the Scripture. So I pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher now, for without Him, his wisdom and his guidance, we'll be in trouble. So I place my total confidence in the triune God. Amen. We saw in the last message how to affair-proof your marriage. This is a continuation from the last message where he talked about adultery. Namely, Our Lord wants us to go back to the root cause that causes adultery, which causes divorce. He always led us to go to the root cause. Now, there are two things that I believe our Lord would want to tell us here. Two ingredients to a blessed marriage. Two ingredients. Listen carefully. In fact, I share those with couples when I do marriages, which is really rare, (laughs) because I have some wonderful colleagues who do a much better job. I thank God for them. But the two things, I want you to write them down if you're taking notes. Ironclad commitment to each other, caring communication with each other. Let me repeat these. Ironclad commitment to each other and caring communication with each other. Let me interrupt myself here and say something to those who are divorced or have been divorced. Please listen carefully. For whatever reason, whatever reason, 
That's not the issue. I know that this is the most painful emotional experience. And as I said earlier, it is the longing of my heart, the desire of my heart not to add to that pain. But hopefully I can give you helpful lessons for the future. Because listen to me, there is life after divorce. There is hope after divorce. There is redemption after divorce. Because I believe with all my heart there can be future joy if you're willing to find it. That is, if you do not spend the rest of your life beating yourself up, if you do not spend time wallowing in your guilt and regret, once you place it under the blood of Jesus and you are forgiven by God, you are under obligation to forgive yourself. If you are willing to accept God's forgiveness and redemption and resolution, there is a future joy. There is a future hope. That is what the gospel teaches from cover to cover. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me get back to those two things. An ironclad commitment. And I'm hoping even those who are watching and contemplating marriage, that they'll put those engraved on the cortex of their brain. <laughs> I'm aware of the fact that this commitment of putting two people together, a man and a woman, binding themselves to each other for life, is a tall order. <laughs> and that is why the old Anglican marriage ceremony says marriage is not to enter into inadvisedly or lightly. In Matthew 19, Jesus uses the words of the Scripture from Genesis. He said that a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and that works for the wife as well. Leaves her parents, cleaves her husband. The word cleave actually means glued, <laughs> glued together, <laughs> absolutely glued. That's what it means. That glue becomes the most important bonding. That glue means that their life revolves around each other just as the earth revolves around the sun. And they both revolve around the Lord Jesus. The reason the Bible sees marriage between man and a woman as a picture of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the believers, whom we call the church, the bride of Christ, is because Jesus does not love you, redeem you, adopt you, then the moment you mess up, He dumps you. Did you get that? It's not Christianity. That is not the Christian faith. When he writes your name in the book of life, he writes it permanently. He does not dump you the moment you mess up. He wants you to come back and repent and turn to him. And he doesn't say to you, this is the 1,275 times you came to me. He doesn't count. He doesn't count the times we come to him for forgiveness and for repentance. Trust me. I know. <laughs> And that is why the Bible says that marriage ought to work the same way. The covenant of marriage 
ought not to be dependent on the whims and the feelings of one party or the other. The covenant does not become obsolete when one or two does not feel like keeping it. The covenant of marriage between believing man and a believing woman is for life. Now, I have to confess to you, sometimes when I listen to the superficialities of arguments, and I know now that I live long enough, look back, I said, we argued about these stupid things, <laughs> but you're going to have to live long enough to realize that. And then sometimes when I think of the superficiality and the silly things we argue about in marriage, and I think of that little five-year-old girl, her first day of school, first grader, she comes home and she announced to her mom, I am engaged to Danny who sits next to me in the class. Wonderful. Next day, she comes in and announced to her mommy, the marriage is off. And the mother says, why? She said, well, Danny is just not ready for marriage. <laughs> Whoever said girls mature much quicker than men, absolutely right. She said, besides, he scribbled in my coloring book. Now, beloved, listen to me. Marriage is a lot of scribbling in each other's books. <laughs> marriage is a lot of squabbling, a lot of disagreements. Marriage is a lot of give and take. Now, young husbands, let me give you an advice. I cannot give much of advice to young wives because I don't know. My wife can help you. But I can help young husbands or prospective husbands. There is a way by which you can have a blessed marriage. And let me share with you our experience. I'm not going to ask my wife to come up here because she will contradict me. <laughs> but this is how it works when we have a… we actually call it vigorous discussion. just sounds nice for a preacher's home. We don't call it arguments. We call it vigorous discussion. And so when we have one of those vigorous discussions, we sit together. She, says, she tells me what she wants. I tell her what I want. Then we compromise. We do it her way. <laughs> I promise you, you'll have a joyous marriage. Because in the end, all that stuff is really ludicrous that we argue over. Only persistent adultery, listen to me, only persistent adultery or death can break up a marriage. I believe with all my heart <clears throat> that God is pleased when forgiveness takes place between husband and wife. God is pleased when confession and repentance takes place between husband and wife. God is pleased when reconciliation takes place between husband and wife. But let me hasten to say <clears throat> that one indiscretion, listen carefully, because I know some people are going to write me letters, send me emails, one indiscretion is not an unpardonable sin. Continuous unfaithfulness 
Deliberate, continuous unfaithfulness is a marriage breaker. Now, I personally believe that this is the meaning of the text. Contradict me all you want, but listen to me. In this sexually charged culture that we live in, learn to affair-proof your marriage. You say, Michael, how can I do this? Well, first of all, get over your narcissism. Get over your narcissism. Why do I say this? Because the truth is, we're all narcissists to different degrees. We all are. Be truthful. He said, how do you know that? Well, if you want to overcome your narcissism, do the following. Make a study of discovering your spouse's real needs. You get that? Real needs. And seek by God's power, God's strength, God's mercy, and God's grace to meet that, power, that need. According to recent surveys, women's top five needs are as follows. Affection, communication, openness, and honesty, financial support, and family commitment. By the same token, the top five needs of men, listen carefully, are as follows. Sexual fulfillment, relational companionship, recreational, recreational companionship, attractiveness of their wife, domestic support, and admiration. Men don't want much. They just want everything. (laughs) Now, there are some people who know their spouse's need, and they endeavor by God's grace to provide this need or meet that need. Ah, but listen to me. They expect reciprocation. That's where the problem arises. And hurt arises when the reciprocation does not take place. Please, 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 don't focus on what you want and need, but on what he or she want and need. I believe when you do that, you will go a long way toward avoiding the roving eye. Let me repeat, narcissism is a deadly poison. And when you subdue narcissism by God's power, you will have a joy for marriage. Now, you notice I didn't say perfect marriage. I didn't say perfect marriage. There's no such thing. By the way, young people, if you think, oh, there's a perfect marriage, it doesn't exist. You know, people used to say to me in the past, they would say, oh, it's a, it's, it's a match made in heaven. I said, yeah, so thunder and lightning. <laughs> There's no such a thing as perfect marriage, but there is such a thing as a joyful marriage. Someone may say, well, Michael, I just don't have the time or the effort or the energy to, to do what you're asking me to do. Well, just listen to me for a minute, Okay. If you want to get physically in shape, what do you do? What do you do? You exercise and you work out, right? I'm killing myself doing that. (laughs) Or if you want to get ahead in your profession or your vocation, what do you do? You work at it and you work at it and daily improve, right? 
Am I right? Then why on heaven's name, when it comes to marriage, you don't want to make the, the investment? I'll let you answer that to yourself. So first of all, it's an ironclad commitment. Secondly, caring communication. I chose this word deliberately, caring communication. I'm going to explain to you why. But before I answer that, <laughs> you must know that the overwhelming evidence points to the fact that caring communication is the overwhelming need of most women. Most women. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Uh, because men communicate facts. They're good at communicating facts. But women wants, wants you to communicate feelings. Are you there? I can hear you breathing. <laughs> Some of you holding your breath. <laughs> I can feel it from here. Men are great communicating facts, but women want to communicate feelings. So what is the answer? Here's my 25 cents advice, okay? I mean, back then we say a quarter, this and a quarter get you a cup of coffee. Now, this and $10 will buy you a Starbucks cup of coffee. <laughs> Men need to learn to communicate feelings, and women need to learn communicating facts. Let me illustrate this. About this poor guy who is always on the defensive, and yet he had terrible memory, always forgetting. I always tell people, if you ever want to be cured of forgetting your anniversary, if you really want to be cured for life, forget it once. That will cure you. Now, that's not my problem. I've got an elephant memory. <laughs> anyway, this guy uh, just... Could not get his act together. Couldn't even remember the anniversary date. And one morning at breakfast time, his wife said to him, do you know what day this is? In a typical, forgive me, guys, um, he snapped and said, of course I know what day it is. And I have the humility to say, no, what day is it? No, he didn't have that humility. He just said, oh, of course I know. So he goes back to go over, off to work. At 10 o'clock in the morning, the doorbell rang, and there is a beautiful, long stem red roses handed to her. Wow. By 1 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a box of chocolate, two pound pounds of chocolate. I mean, Godiva, no less. And by later in the afternoon, there was a Boutique delivered a designer dress. Boy, by that time, she just couldn't wait for her husband to come home. I mean, she just first the flowers and the chocolate and the dress. And when her husband arrived, she put her arms around him and kissed him. And she said, darling, I have never spent more wonderful Groundhog Day like today. <laughs> he would have saved himself a lot of expenses. If he just listened or asked. Well, someone would still be asking, well, Michael, well, still, what do you mean by caring communication? Well, let me say at the outset, making an unreasonable demand or blackmailing your spouse 
is an absolute no-no. Giving your husband or wife what you want (laughs) on their birthdays is a no-no. Constantly using your upbringing and your past as an excuse for whatever you're doing is a no-no. I'll never forget, back in 1988, this church had just been going, just started, and, you know, a few people in the church, but, but, but we were growing fast, and I did not have these wonderful pastors that we have here today. We, we, I was it until later God, in His grace and mercy, sent me Ron Irvine. By the way, Ron is coming back to help Rand, thank God, uh, you know, now that he has time, God, the Lord took Anna home. But God brought Ron Irvine, and and he was just a wonderful counselor, which I'm not. And so this lady came to see me, and I'm doing all the counseling, all right? I'm lousy at it. I had no choice. That was it. Uh, I was listening to this dear lady who was contemplating divorce. And she said that uh, it wasn't possible for them to just continue together. I found out in the course of the conversation, Atlanta was still small back then, (laughs) that she's been to a lot of pastors in the city and counselors. And I'm telling you, when I heard that, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. I said, you're coming to the wrong guy. (laughs) If these people didn't help you, certainly I'm not very good at it. So I asked her if she, in one sentence, can summarize and tell me what This is just the core of the problem. She said, well, the problem is we both come from two different cultures. I said, ah, I guess she figured out that my wife and I come from two different worlds, and I thought I might be able to help. And so I said to her, where are you from? She said, South Georgia. (laughs) I said, now where is your husband from? She said, North Georgia. I said, lady, do you understand that when I met my wife, we didn't speak the same language? We talked two different languages. I am not kidding you. Sometimes we have to use French words to communicate what we're trying to say to each other. I think at that moment she got up and just left. Listen, ironclad commitment and caring communications are two ingredients for a joyful marriage. And that, my beloved friends, is how you affair-proof your marriage. Lift up one another. Encourage one another. Esteem one another. Honor one another. Let me tell you this as I conclude. Sir Winston Churchill of England, one of the great leaders of all times, was attending a formal banquet to which a lot of prominent people were there at the banquet, and after the dinner, they were all allowed to ask Sir Winston uh, Churchill any questions they want to ask. And one question was as follows. If you were not who you are and could be someone else, who would you like to be? I mean, you can imagine people sitting there waiting, knowing Churchill with his oratory and ability and all that, and they just could, could, they were so curious to know, is he going to say Caesar or 
Bonaparte? <laughs> I mean, some of the great names. But instead, his wife sitting next to him, dear Clammy, and he held her hand and said, let me rephrase this question. If I were not who I am, who would I would most like to be? And then he paused. You know, he was, he was a master of that. And he, if you've never heard any of his speeches, you can listen to them. They're on YouTube. And, and, and he paused, and he paused. There was silence and nervous people sitting there coughing and waiting. He's still holding Clammy's hand, his, his dear Clammy, whom he loved so dearly. And finally he said, I would like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. Now, beloved, this commitment to building up your spouse must, can only be second most important thing you do. You say, what is that first and most important thing you do? In fact, the first thing you must do that's going to help you to accomplish the second thing is to lift up the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. That will empower you to lift your spouse up. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is narcissism destroying your marriage? Is being wrapped up in yourself strangling the most important thing in your life after salvation? Is being in love with yourself making you wealth? Today you can open up your heart to the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, with this spacing, you can do that with me. Just open up your arms. Open up your arms. Go ahead. Open up your arms. You've got plenty of social distancing here. <laughs> open up your arms. The Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And He can empower you, and He will. And you walk down these aisles, for those of you in the building, and as you walk down to participate in the Lord's table, you can be making a commitment. You can be making a decision. You can purpose in your heart to petition the only one who can help you overcome. Can I get an amen? amen. Father God, in the name of Jesus, this flawed vessel, and only conscious of my own weaknesses, Lord, can only magnify Your Word. But only You can do the work. Only You can change hearts. Only You can transform lives. Only You, Lord. So I pray for everyone in this sanctuary or watching around the world that this will be a day of decision, a day of commitment, a day of trusting that God will do what He said He will do, that when we ask, He will answer. It is in His name that I pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. Let's continue in the spirit of prayer as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that is, without confessing, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, those of you who are not here last month, we're doing this on the second of every month. It's a new way of participating in the Lord's table. It's the age of COVID-19. And in order not to have anything and anybody handle this, if you lift up, you turn the thing upside down, and you lift this up, there is the bread. Thank you, Lord, for the body that was torn for me on the cross. And you turn it up, and there is the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for your blood, Lord. And all of God's people said amen. Amen. and sing together as we praise the Lord, lift up His name of Jesus, start coming and participating. We're going to take some upstairs, or they already have them up there. Okay.